0: 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Uh, we spoke on verse 1 last week, which is, imitate me, Paul says, just as I also imitate Christ. That actually, unfortunately, should have been back in in chapter uh, 10. But he begins this chapter by saying in verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Aren't you glad you're not teaching this? Um, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved... Let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Again, you're very happy that you're not teaching. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Uh, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have, and before any of you leave, don't, women don't leave because I've got a lot of things that are going to make sense here. So just stick with us here. For this reason, the woman ought to uh, have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as the woman was from the man, even so the man is also through the woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? We're just going to offend everybody today. But if, any, if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Father, help. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> All right, you may be seated. <laughs> Pretty charged passage, isn't it? Who wants to take my place? I'm going to give you a quick little summary real quick before we kind of a little background before we get into the passage, because as I give this little bit of background, it's going to make a whole lot more sense as we read through the passage. And and so a little bit of background, understand we are talking to who is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, right? The church in Corinth. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And so, you remember that he has spent, in fact, I'll begin with verse verse 2. It says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. Now, I don't know if Paul's sarcastic. I don't know if this is a joke. But if anything, this verse, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. There's a few different ways to look at that that verse. He's either saying, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pat you on the back right now because I got some hard things that I'm gonna talk to you about, and I need you to to pay attention," uh, or he's saying this sarcastically. You know, I praise you, brethren, because uh, that you remember me in all things and you keep the traditions that I as I delivered them to you, especially. When you consider that Paul has spent the better part of ten chapters thus far, all ten chapters up to this point, speaking to the Corinthians about how they look down on him, how they are not maintaining the doctrines that he laid down to them from the Lord, it's the reason that that there are three letters to the Corinthians. You remember we've talked about that. That First Corinthians, there's actually three letters that Paul references. Um, First Corinthians actually references a letter that Paul had already written to them we don 't have access to that we don 't know where that is and so actually first Corinthians is actually second Corinthians and second Corinthians is actually third corinthians actually the third letter and so there are three letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Well, as we have our passage today, what we have here is that Paul is uh, is In the first ten chapters, he's writing to them about how they have not kept these traditions. They've not kept, uh, you know, the 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 instruction that he laid out to them. They became very free in the way that they were uh, discerning scripture, and and so Paul is through the whole book. He's he's in some ways rebuking them in other ways he's saying you know here's the thing you guys look down on us you think oh you're small you're puny you know you're you're you know uh, we're rich but you're poor you know and paul actually you know spent you know a good portion of, of an area of scripture there of an the area of his letter saying you know you guys are mocking us that we are having struggles as apostles well, as Paul says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. It's, it's one of those things where you go, is he sarcastic? Is he patting him on the back because of the hard things he's about to say? Or it's very plausible that Paul really means, hey, you know what? For the most part, you guys do remember me. And, and for the most part, that you're even reading these letters tells me that you're still in the faith. You're still walking with the Lord. And so it's in that that I'm encouraged by that. And I want to encourage you to maintain this walk that you are walking with. And so, as we have looked through these first ten chapters, we see that Paul is bringing up a lot of areas within the church that these guys are slipping on. They're just not maintaining very well. Well, again, it's Corinth you remember what one of the hardest things that they were dealing with in that day was the uh, temple of Aphrodite, right? There in Corinth. A thousand prostitutes uh, that you would go and and you would, uh, you know, tithe unto them and they would, you would, you know, offer your, you know, uh, they would offer you know, pleasures to you as a sacrifice and you would offer back to them as a sacrifice unto Aphrodite. It was a place of debauchery. Well, how would you identify those thousand temple prostitutes? Well, how you were identifying them was that they had shorn hair. They had shaved heads. They, they, their hair was cut very short. Now again we 're also talking about a people that women would wear you know, veils or they would wear you know a head covering, and in many ways they would have you know as you look over in the Middle East today and you see that there are many women that wear you know the, the covering that goes just over the you know the crown of their nose and ties in the back, and maybe you know a, a head covering that goes over the top where basically all you see are the eyes and so Paul is saying, well, the temple prostitutes they They don't have a head covering at all. In fact, they don't even have their long hair. They shave their head to prove and to identify themselves as one of the temple prostitutes. And so with that little bit of tidbit of information, we can begin to look at this and say, okay, now here's the freedom that we have as we come into the church. Some of the women... Identifying with that, Paul's going. It, it probably isn't a good thing if you're a, if you're especially a married woman and you come into the church with a shaved head, with your head uncovered and your your head shaved. Because what is that identifying you with? What is it that everybody looks at you as being? Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, um, uh, uh, he he talks about how uh, her head needs to be covered with hair because. It's a disgrace, if you will. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, an offense to her husband. Because if you come in with a shaved head into church, what happens in that culture, in that place, they would go, are you one of the temple prostitutes? Well, I don't know that I want my wife to be identified with one of the temple prostitutes of Aphrodite. And, and so Paul is addressing an issue that is a local issue, is he saying that today our women need to come in here with long hair and long hair only? Guys can't have long hair, you know. I think that Paul talks about he uh, he will he will say that this isn't a doctrine that is something that if you don't have long hair as a woman then you're not saved, or if you have long hair as a man you're not saved. I don't believe that that's what he's talking about at all. He's dealing with an issue here in the Corinthian church. And it's, a, it's an issue that is a stumbling block for, for many of the people in the society that they were living in. And so Paul is dealing with this. He says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every man is Christ. Let's stop there for just one second. Let's get that and sink that deep down into our gizzards. The head of every man, and this is speaking specifically of men. It's speaking specifically of men and and even more identifying with a husband. Because there will be some in the church that will take this passage and they'll say, well, what Paul's saying is that every man in the church has authority over every woman in the church. Every man has the authority over it, whether or not she's his wife or not. Well, that's, that's a misrepresentation, I believe, of what Paul is talking about. You know, it, it, you know there, there are guys that will, will try to be super spiritual and, and say to their girlfriends, listen, I am, I am the head or I'm the authority in this relationship because we see it in Scripture. You see it says here in Scripture, so you need to do what I say. Listen, if you ever have a man, women, that says, you need to do this because this is what I said and I'm your authority. we got problems. we got a guy that doesn't understand this passage and doesn't understand this very first part of the sentence. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every man is Christ. Once we get that down, We can then move on through the rest of the passage, and it will make a whole lot more sense. It's kind of like taking the first verse of the Bible. If you can get past the first verse of the Bible, you don't really have a whole lot of, you don't have many problems dealing with many of the miracles that you see in Scripture. When you look at Jonah and the great fish, you go, well... Really, can a great fish swallow a man for three days and three nights in the acid of a stomach of a whale? And then the whale, or the, the great fish, we don't know if it was a whale. We just say it's a whale, but because whales are big. We don't know what kind of a fish it is. Could have been a spe- just one specific fish that God designed to, to do this. I don't know. We don't know. We just know it was in, he was in the belly of a great fish, and that, that, that fish would actually go and, and travel in the direction that Jonah should have been going. And then puke him up on the beach after three days and three nights. And, and, and Jonah is still alive. Come on. That's a hard one for me to reconcile in my head. I mean, because this, this fish is underwater. He's underwater. There's no air there. And so, I, I mean, you, and you got problems. Well, see, if, if you can get past the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, four, ver- four words. If you can get past those first four words, if you can accept those first four words, that God takes a man in the belly of a great fish and spits him up on a, on a beach somewhere after three days and three nights, that's not a big thing for me to, to grasp onto if in the beginning, God. If God can ex nihilo, out of non-existing materials, create the heavens and the earth and all that is within it. Just by Him being God. I mean, think about it. Create anything in your head out of non-existing materials come up with anything in your head invent something come up with a uh with any it even for us with our finite minds we can't or we have a very very strong hard difficult time if we task ourselves with this idea of saying let me just come up with imagine a substance that is going to, I'm going to mix it with this other substance that doesn't exist, that I'm making up in my mind, and this substance that I'm making up in my mind, I'm going to mix them together, and I'm going to make something that lives and breathes. You know, something. For us to even try to think of creating something out of nothing, it it blows my mind you know, light a candle in the middle of a dark room and sit there and ponder that for an hour or two. That'll blow your mind. Out of non-existing materials, God created the dirt. God created the ingredients to make man. God created out of His mind, out of His intellect, out of His wisdom, God with no materials created it all. You know, the the scientists, you've heard the the, the story. Some of you have heard the story before how the scientists have said, hey, we have finally figured out how God did all this. And we challenge God. We can create life now. We know how to do it. And so we'll challenge God to a duel. He creates another man and we'll create our man and we'll match them up together and see if ours is much different than his. God accepts the challenge This is not a true story, by the way, okay? All right. The scientists come together and say, we're challenging God, and they come together on that day, and the scientists come together and they say, okay. God says, you guys go first. I've already done it once. I'll do it again, but you guys go first. And they said, okay. And so they opened up their, their, you know, bag of tricks and their, their cabinets, and they started going, well, we need a little bit of silicone. We need a little bit of this. And God says, hey, where do you get that stuff? Oh, what's well, plentious around the earth? He goes, no, 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 no. I created the earth. You get your own materials. Those are my materials. You can't take the things that I created and create man. That's that's not a big deal. Create something out of your own your own materials that you create, that you invent, that you imagine, that you bring into substance. You see, man can't do that. That's something. If if you can get past the first four words of the Bible. You've got the Bible licked, man. It's not a hard thing. And so here's the thing, gang. As we get through this passage, and it is a difficult passage, when you get through that first line, the head of every man is Christ. If a man is truly being led by Christ, it really isn't going to be a hard thing for a woman to listen to the rest of this. And it really won't be a hard thing for a man to listen to the rest of this and consider the great responsibility that he has upon himself. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And so what we have here is we have kind of a... a a, 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 a And when the word head means, it's it's one of not power per se it's not speaking of power it's speaking of position of authority it's not speaking of power it's not speaking of i have the power to make you woman i have the power to tell you to i don't know it's not about that it's about this is a a positional place for for think about it the head of every man is christ the head of every woman is man the head of of christ is god who is Jesus? He is God in human flesh. I want you to see that. Because Christ, is he inferior to God the Father? Is God the Son inferior to God the Father? No, he's not. Does he have a different position? Yeah, he has a different position, a different name, a different a different role, if you will. But they all, all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make up God. They don't, one doesn't have authority over the other, and the, the other doesn't have authority over the other. It, it, it's not one, I'm more powerful than you. God the Father is more powerful than God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now we might look at it that way. But we would be wrong. They're co-equal in position and power. The the thing is, is that Jesus has a different position than the Father. Just as the man doesn't look at the woman and say, I am am more powerful than you, I'm more authority than you, and you are subservient to me. You are inferior to me. No, that's not true, because... Jesus was not inferior to God the Father. And mind you, Jesus says, I only do the things that my Father tells me to do, right? Jesus, He was in perfect unison, unity with the Father. They both agreed on all things. And so when you look at that, It's interesting as we see that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. We see this positional place. Statement. And when we look at the man. The man has got to look to Christ. He has one link. That he has to look to. He has to look to Christ. The woman, on the other hand, has two links that she's looking at. She's looking at the husband, but then she's also looking at Christ. Now, here's the thing. Scripture's not speaking or teaching that a woman is to be uh, abused or beat down or become a position of a slave because the man is over him. Is over her. If you have a woman, if you have a man that's not walking with the Lord, that would be like, well, a man is to follow Jesus, but Jesus doesn't follow what the Father says. Well, see, that's inconsistent. Because Jesus always does what the Father says, Jesus is always in unison with the Father. And so a woman when she looks at a man who's not walking with the Lord, if he's not walking with the Lord and he's making decisions that are just improper before the Lord, improper, something that Christ would never have a couple to do, well, it's at that place that that woman will look beyond that link right here that is imperfect and look to the perfect link, which is Christ. It's like you and I here living in this in this country. There comes a place in our life where we go we are subservient to our government, right? We we are bound to the laws of our government and we do our best to live in accordance to the laws that the government has laid down upon us but should there come a time where the government says you cannot meet as a church you cannot read your bible you cannot worship freely jesus you cannot you cannot pray you can't you can't be saved you can't be a christian in this country at what point do you say i stop listening to that link in that aspect and i begin to listen Beyond that link, I I stop listening to the government as it pertains to my walk with the Lord because the Lord is the one whom I'm subservient to. He's the one that I serve. And so there is the the heart here. The responsibility is high for us men, especially us as husbands. If you're a single guy here, you look at this and go, does this mean that I have authority over a woman? No. Sorry, you just don't. You sit here and go, well, I'm a single guy and, and the single gals need to be subservient to me. No, no, no. You never lord anything over anything, anyone. Jesus never lorded over anyone. He never, you know, put people down and said, you will. No, he, did, he didn't do that. He He loved people. He actually came and gave himself a ransom for many. He died. He gave his life. He cast his, his uh, you know, himself aside so that he might lift you up. So that he might give you life. He came to die. Man, are you doing that? Men, are you doing that for your wife? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that, doesn't it? Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Paul goes on, he... he references, you know, the husband's role when he looks at Christ. Husband, do you know, you want to know how you're to treat your wife? Well, look to Jesus in how he treats his church. Look to Christ in how he ministers to the bride, his church. And if you are not doing that to your bride, you're missing out, man. And you're causing your wife to have to struggle with, do I listen to my husband or do I listen to God? And you place her in a position of a very difficult position. Can you imagine as a guy? You know, us guys, we go, wow, it's kind of nice to be able to to not be subservient, you know, to to not have our wives over us. Well, know this. Here's the thing. All the way back in... Genesis chapter 3, we see that the curse that God laid down upon mankind, for men, sweat of your brow is going to produce the fruit of the land. You're going to be toiling. I'm going to kick you out of this garden, and you're going to go out there and you're going to toil all the rest of the days of your life. For a woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Isn't that great, gals? No, not great. Said, and and there will be, I will put enmity between your seed, woman, and the seed of the serpent. Which, by the way, is a reference to Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. Because, you see, a woman doesn't have a seed, a woman has an egg, a woman doesn't have a seed. And the Bible actually clarifies it. When Genesis chapter 3 says, I will put enmity enmity between her seed and your seed, it does not say to her seeds as in many, but her seed as in one. There's one seed, and that one seed was none other than Christ. And so this is a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. So I'll put enmity between your seed and the the enemy's seed. And your uh, desire will be for your husband. Now, there will be those that teach and go, we'll see that. That's kind of a, I, I don't know how that can be a bad curse, because wouldn't you want your wife's desire to be for your husband? Well, think about that. Is it really a curse if a wife really desires her husband? That's not a curse. Actually, that is actually called for in Scripture. But you've got to remember, this is a curse that's laid down upon a woman. The desire that is spoken of there, you go back and look at the language and you're going to find out that what God is placing down upon a woman at that point, he's, he's saying, there is a, an, a, a positional order. There is God, man, and woman. That's it. That's the order that God has. There is an order that God has. And for the woman... Your desire will always be, the temptation will always be that you want the position of your husband. You will want that position. You'll want to take over his order. You'll want to take his position, the position that God has laid out for man to be, that we fail at very miserably. I remember I had a hard time with Ray Bentley uh, here. That's funny. This is the second time I heard about it today. Um, uh, Kevin said, Ray Bentley said hi to you. And and he goes, oh, I meant Wes Bentley. Wes, he, he, they went to a uh, men's conference yesterday over at Calvary Chapel, Sarasota. And uh, Wes Bentley um, was teaching. But Ray Bentley is a pastor out in California who did actually a, uh, a marriage retreat that my wife and I were at many, many years ago. But there was one of the things that he said many years ago that really kind of ticked me off a little bit. It, 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 it gnawed at me as a man. It was probably true, but it gnawed at me as, like, as a man. He says, you know why God puts the order of a husband in front of the wife? Is because in many cases, if not most cases, a woman has maybe the ability to lead even greater than the husband. And if God placed the woman there, the man would just be a, you know, a a driveling idiot, you know, just walking around, not doing anything, you know. And now the women are all going, yeah, 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 you know, and the guys are going, hey, no, I'm a good leader. Ask your wife. Are you a good leader? Here's the thing. As Ray said, God placed the man in that position because he knew it was going to be a task for the man. It's not something that maybe just comes naturally to the man. Now, it does come naturally to some men. But, it, you know, for, for women, uh, it, it's easy for them to, 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 to do in many cases, and I'm talking kind of women as, as a whole, it's easy for them to... to to just do things and, you know, they kind of lay, lay things out, you know, boom, 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 you know, uh, laying it out in order, boom, 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 and and itemized little thing. Every day you wake up, you got ten things that you're going to, you know, accomplish. Christine. You know. But she learned it from her father. So there it is. That's a good thing. Here's the thing. This is, Paul is not saying, that men are to treat their wives as slaves. And this is speaking more so to women and men who are married within the confines of a church. Because a man who's not subservient to the Lord Jesus Christ is not really, it's really hard to follow him if he's not following the Lord, right? And so what is being spoken of here is women, you're in a position, a different position. You have a different role than a man has. Man, you have a different role than a woman has. Jesus, God the Son, had a different role than God the Father. But God the Son and God the Father had the same uh head they had the same mind they had a same goal they had a same th- a heart they're unified one is not inferior to the other as our wives are not inferior to us in fact he, you see what it says here in uh, down here it says uh, um, verse 11 nevertheless neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the lord for as the woman was from the man, even so the man is also through the woman, but all things are from God. You, you look at that and you go, you know, here's the thing. Guys, if it weren't for the women, you wouldn't be here. Right? We're not independent from a woman. For if, if we didn't have women, we wouldn't be birthed. We all have moms. That's the one common denominator in this room. We all have moms. You're not independent of a woman. You you were dependent upon a woman to even give you life. The same thing with a man. A woman, you wouldn't be here if there wasn't a man in the first place. But let's not take those positions and use them to lord over another person. To lord over your uh, your spouse. I want you to know that every that the head of every man is Christ. He says in verse three, head of woman is man. Head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now again, he's referencing these. These women who in Corinth, if your head is shaved, you're just immediately identified, oh, that's one of the temple prostitutes. And if my wife comes into this church with her head shaved, will not people go, is she one of the temple prostitutes? Wouldn't it dishonor me? Yes, it would dishonor me. And so Paul's going, why would you want to dishonor your husband by shaving your head? Is it, it does not even nature, especially in our own, uh, 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 city that we're living in here right now, doesn't everybody know that if a woman has her head shaved, she's one of the temple prostitutes, or she identifies with the temple prostitutes? Paul's going, don't identify with the world. And here's, here's you know, let me go on a little bit, because I have something I want to say about that. Verse 6, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. Shorn means shaved. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. And that's a rhetorical statement right there in light of Corinth. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. And I know that's a hard thing to grasp for for some women. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard position to, to be in. Wait a minute. You're saying woman was created for the man. That, I'm, that's not my view. That's not my point. That's that's the point of what the Word of God says. And and we can argue the point all we want, and we can say, well, I don't want to believe that, and I don't want to agree with that. That's a part that we need to we need to change. We need to bring a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, you know women's empowerment in scripture and change some of these things. Now understand, there have been people that have tried to change the word of God and where it says, you know, God as a he to take it away from any reference of being any form of masculine, any masculine form. Let's make it, you know, uh, uh, neither female nor masculine. Make it asexual. And and so we we try because we don't like what it says, because especially in the culture that we're living in, we don't like what it says, and so we want to change it a little bit. We want to change God's order. We want to change God's word. And it's it's a very dangerous place for us to be when we want to change God's word. So... woman was created for the man man was created for God and he was happy he was you know chilling naming the animals somewhere along the line he got done and he didn't find anyone that was like him he found male and female species of every other species but man, with the brain that he had at the time, which was very, using 100% of his brain, we don't use that much of our brain today. I think Andy and I were talking about that the other day. What'd we, what were we saying? The percentage of a brain that a, huh? Like 10%, 12%, something like that. Can you imagine? Yeah. If you used 100% of your brain? It's amazing what you could do. But somewhere along the line, Adam, he recognized, hey, wait a minute. There's not a helper comparable to me. And so God caused a deep sleep upon Adam. And he took from Adam. Adam was created out of the ground, out of the materials that God created. God thought up. When God made man, he said it was good. Sorry, gals, but guys are good. God created man and said, It's good. But he let Adam go for a little while, name the animals, and find, Hey, I'm alone. It's the first time in Scripture that you see that there's something wrong. There's something missing. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but in the Hebrew, where it says, it is not good for man to be alone. The word in Hebrew, do you know what the word is in Hebrew? It's B A D in Hebrew, Bob. I'm going, wow, that, that, it's not good for man to be alone. It's bad. It's our English word "bad." I mean, it's not—that's not what was meant, but that it's just so—it just so happens to be that the Hebrew word for alone is "bad," and so it's the Hebrew word "bod." And so God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and out of his side. He took the existing materials that already were created, that He created into man and said He was good. He took the existing materials out of man and created, and you've heard the statement before, God didn't take it out of, you know, you, know, the, the, you know, part out of the man's feet so that a woman is under his feet or out of his head so that the woman is over the man. He took the, por- the portion out of his side to make a woman Thereby unifying the man, coming along as equal, as Jesus is equal with God the Father, so is a woman equal with man, a wife equal with her husband. If you look upon that, they, they, a man is not more important to God than a woman. That's that's blasphemous. And, and so, God created out of man a woman and brought her to Adam. And Adam said, Whoa. It looks like a man, but whoa. Whoa. I'm going to call, I'm going to call, Whoa, man. Whoa, man. Whoa. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. (laughs) My son is just going, Please, Dad, just stop. Just stop. You're embarrassing me. I know. Woman. Listen. Created out of man. I didn't even hear what he said. I don't even want to know. Here's the thing. Not <laughs> it's not what happened. God has VCR in heaven. He's going to show it to you one day. Here's the thing. She, was come, she came out of a man for a man. That, that's what Paul's saying. Man wasn't created... For the woman, but but woman was created for the man. Man was created for God. Woman was created for man. Does that mean that the woman is less important? No, you just have a different position. Is man more important than a woman? No, he just has a different position. We have an order. Is an angel more important than you? No, he just has a different position. Is an angel less? you know, important and, and and you know, a slave to you or me? No. An angel has a job to do, has a purpose. It's why he says, listen, verse 9, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Verse 10, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. You go, okay, now that just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, what you just brought because the angels in there doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Unless you begin to consider. And I like what John Corson had had, had laid out here, and I'm gonna I'm basically plagiarizing what, what he had said here for this next few moments. Regarding the angels spoken of here, John Corson says, Paul says it is for the sake of the angels that women were to cover their heads. Why? Angels are hypersensitive about things being done in order. Why? Because they saw one third of their, custom, of their company cast out of heaven after one of them said, I want to do my own thing. I want to be like God. The reference is Isaiah fourteen fourteen. Therefore, the covering on the head of a woman who is praying or prophesying in the congregation is a sign to the angels that she is not out of order, but that she does so under the authority of her husband, especially there in Corinth. End quote. The essence of this passage can be summed up. and I'm, I'm not going to get into the rest of the passage today. I, I had these visions of grandeur that I was going to get through the whole chapter. um. Uh, um the essence of this passage can be summed up by saying that Paul is warning the Corinthian believers and the believers in Calvary Chapel that rebellion of God's order is a dangerous is dangerous, and it's cancerous. The idea is, is that there's a position for a woman to be and there's a position for a man to be. And when those lines begin to be crossed, because a woman doesn't want to be, you know, what she was designed to be or a man doesn't want to be what he was designed to be and he begins to take on more authority and more power than what was ever granted him to be or woman takes on more position and more autonomy and more rebelliousness or more woman empowerment than, than what God ever intended her to be, what happens is that things begin to get out of order. And, and this is the essence of this passage. The rebellion of God's order is dangerous and it's cancerous. If it's cancerous, it has to be dealt with or else the cancer is going to metastasize and corrupt the whole of a healthy body. Now just this last past week, just about three or four days ago, a good friend of mine who used to be my accountability brother over in Fort Lauderdale, um, got news that his wife has cancer. And it's sad. It's sad. It's tough to hear that someone that's younger than I am, gorgeous, beautiful wife, who has the same name as my wife, is now got cancer. Uh, I don't really know the can. I mean, it's a leomyosarcoma cancer. I guess it's something of the insides, muscle cancerous. Don't really know what's going to happen right now. Don't know how she's going to... To go, I would love for you to pray. Lynette Ridgely is her name. Pray for her. They're dear friends of mine. But if something isn't done with that cancer, it's going to take her life. As it has been for, for some of you and... That have either had, you've have or you've lived through the pain and the uncertainty of a loved one with cancer, you can identify with the emotions and the thoughts that are going through my friend's mind right now. As Lynette, his wife, has begun to battle this journey, you know, take this battle and and take this journey in this battle. But so too with the cancer in the church. The problem that I see in the church is that among the members, the leaderships, or even the pastors, especially here in America. Instead of calling a cancer a cancer, the church has begun to grow accustomed to explaining away a cancer that has begun to infect the church and adapt and and these leaders and the pastors begin to adapt the church to socially embrace the cancer justifying their actions so as to, uh, to as as that of accepting the culture as it is simply so as not to offend anyone that's a dangerous place for the church to be we want you to be what you want to be if it means going outside of the order of what god has designed you to be it's okay we just want you to come to church because we want you to be a part of our church, we want you to be saved. Well, here's the thing: if you're asking people to come into a church and be outside of the order of God so that they be saved, I'm going to say that that pastor doesn't even know what saved means. Because we can't, we can't say, "Hey, let's be saved," but not do what God says. In fact, Jesus says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say?" And the church is infected with cancer because people are changing their roles. They're rebelling against God. There's so much rebelliousness that has entered into the church. I started writing a sentence and the sentence just kind of just laid itself out. That, that here, Here's what it says. The problem of this method of the church constantly changing to become more like the world in order to attract the world is that the world already does the world much better than the church can do the world. It just kept going. The world. The problem of this method, I say again, of the church constantly changing to become more like the world in order to attract the world, is that the world already does the world much better than the church can do the world. So that by the time that someone from the world steps through the doorways of a modern day church, what they see is a cheap imitation of the world that they're, not, that they're not finding fulfillment within in the first place. Here's what we're doing. We're bringing the world into the church and becoming a very cheap imitation of what they have and are exposed to out in the world. There's not a change in the church. We're everything that the world is. We're everything that the world is. We want them to be as comfortable in the church as they are in the world. The church isn't a place where we find comfort, that 's never been the intention of a church. The intention of a church is 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 not so that we come in and go, "Ooh, I feel comfortable. I have a nice little sofa blanket, I have a nice little Afghan that I come up, and I get warm fuzzies, and I go out and I feel really good every week no that's not that's not the case. Sometimes you do have that, and hey, man, those are glorious days, those are awesome days, but there are other days i don 't know about you, but I know that there's some days I sit in church or I teach or i'm and, and I go. Man, today wasn't a warm and fuzzy day for me. Today was heart surgery. Today was cancer surgery. It was tumor removal today in my life, spiritually. And it's not fun. And it hurts at times. It hurts to come face to face with sin. It hurts to come face to face with with rebelliousness in my own life and, and own it before a holy God and say, You know what, God? This is not what you want in my life, is it? but this is who i am so one of us are going to have to change your word says that you are the lord god you change not so if there's going to be any changing it's going to be me or one of us you know this town's not big enough for both of us (laughs) well this is god's world man this is my father's world he's not going to change And so I and you and we, we come to this place where we go, I got to change. And it's not fun. And I got to go home and I chew on it. And I go, man, I don't want to have to give that up. Or I don't want to, you know, face this issue in my life. But, you know, I've got to actually allow the Holy Spirit to do some spiritual surgery to remove this cancer in my life. Because if it's not removed, it's going to metastasize and it's going to take over my life and it's going to destroy me. You see, a church is not necessarily here to get warm fuzzies. A church is here to become more like Christ. That's what we're to do. If all that we ever get is warm fuzzies in a church, we don't, we don't, we don't know the real true word. We don't know the real true gospel. We don't understand it. And if we're a cheap imitation of the world... How can we possibly reach a world that is getting sick of the world if we're trying to duplicate what they're trying to get out of in the first place? We've got to be something different. We've got to be Christ-like. We've got to do it according to His way. In other words, the church is nothing different for the world. The world leaves its citizens empty and wanting something that is truly worth living for. The modern day church has become so much like the world that the world doesn't see reason for joining with a congregation of believers because they're nothing different than what they are attempting to escape from in the first place. We have got to be different. We've got to separate ourselves from the world. We've got to be in the world, but not of the world. We've got to to rise above. We've got to fall into the order of what it is that God has called us to be and God has called us to do. Husband, You get your nose in this book called the Bible and you learn what it means to be a man of God and you follow Christ because if you're following Christ, your wife is going to have a whole heck of a lot easier time following you if you're following Christ. That's the order. Don't make your wife have to go above your link. My husband is just not doing things according to the word he's not living he doesn't even really even like god he doesn't do what god says he his life is inconsistent with the word am i am i to to do everything he tells me to do isn't that what the bible says to do We've got to be real careful we got to look to the lord and say hey where it begins to come in and your husband is asking you to do things that are actually non-biblical, even blasphemous in Scripture. You've got to look at that and go, I can't do that, honey, because if I do what you're asking me to do, you're saying I need to do it because that's what God has called me to do because he's put you in this position over me. And yet, that's not what Jesus would do or have me do. We've got a problem. One of us are not listening to the Lord. And, And so here's the thing. We've got to understand our roles. Does it have? Does it matter about our hair? <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, do women have to pray with their heads covered? No. I, this, is, this is something that was pervasive in that society. It was pervasive in that society. And it was in the face pervasive in that society. Do, do we have to, you know, men, do we have to cover our heads? No, we don't. You know, do we, do we, women, do you have to, you know, all have long hair? No. What's the culture doing today? You know, if, if you, know, you know, our hairstyles are not, what's going to save us or not save us? What's going to save us is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Living according to his word. Living according to what it is that he would have us to do. This is a problem that they were having. This is just one of many other problems that the church in Corinth was dealing with. They were trying to be like the world. and And, and the thing is, is that when the woman would come into the church with her head shaved, the world would look and say, or the church would look and say, well, wait a minute. You're trying to be just like those prostitutes. And Paul says, that shouldn't be what goes through anybody's mind when you come into a church. Let's just use common sense. Common sense is, you do what God's called you to do. You seek God's face. Don't seek the approval of man. Don't seek the approval of the the world. Seek the approval of God. But I want to get tattoos all over my body. I mean, does Jesus want you to get tattoos all over your body? Or is the world saying, hey, in order to be cool, you need to get tattoos all over your body? Gotta have tattoos all over my body. Gotta shave my hair. I gotta, you know, paint it red or dye it red with a mohawk or purple on the side. I gotta have that. Gotta have that. Wait, wait, wait. Ask the Lord Lord, is this what you want me to be and want me to have? Is this what you're calling me to do? And if so, be free. Go do it. But if you're doing that to be accepted by the world because it's the cool thing to do, be careful. We are starting to buy into the world. We can't buy into the world. But they're not going to be attracted to the church if I'm not like them. I don't know. I think that that's bogus. I think that that's a bad, bad, bad uh, argument. I look at Billy Graham in his three-piece suit up there teaching. I look at Chuck Smith as an old man, bald-headed, ministering to hippies. He didn't have to have long hair. He didn't have to wear sandals. He didn't have to wear shorts and say groovy. He taught the Word of God. And guess what? He was who God made him to be and God He started a a Jesus people movement. He was one of the major men in the Jesus people movement. Because he just, I can't be somebody that I'm not. I don't want to be somebody that I'm not. In order to attract people. Be who God's called you to be. Be in the position. Fulfill the calling with which God's called you to to fulfill. And let, let everything else handle itself. But if you are constantly seeking for the approval of mankind, if you're seeking the approval of friends, if you're trying to be the cool person, I would say be careful of who it is that you're living for. You need to really take a long, hard look personally with yourself and just spend some time on your own with the Lord and ask, Lord, where, where am I finding my identity? Where do I find my approval? Where do I find my... My fulfillment in life is it when people say things to me about how important I am or how much they're impressed with me or how awesome, you know, whatever it is that I've just done? Is that really what you want out of my life? I think people will like me more if I'm a a gay Christian. Because that's kind of the the direction we're going. I don't know. Does the Lord want you to be a gay Christian? I don't think so. In fact, I'm going to say no, he doesn't. I know that the world says that that's the way that it should be, but that's not what the Word of God says. And if you don't hear it here, where will you hear it? The world is saying, hey, pastors like this guy, they don't know what they're talking about. I don't know. I'll take the word. You show me in the word where it says that you can do that and live in that life. And I'll show you in the word that it says you can't. Without having to stretch this word anywhere. The the point is, just live according to the book. (laughs) Live by the book. Men, you need to be a part of this group. (laughs) Here's the thing. Live by the book. Live by the word of God. Find your acceptance and your approval through Christ. Because you know what? We only have a very, very, very short time upon the face of this earth. And then we have an eternity, right? Man, I want to be living for the right one. The one that matters. The one that matters is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's pervading in our society. One of the things that I got from a friend of mine today. He uh, wrote me, we write each other pretty much every week. He's a pastor of a church of about 5,000 people in Idaho. One of my best friends, Bob Davis, he wrote wrote to me, Hey, you've been on my heart these past few days, probably because I miss you praying for you in these days when people will not endure sound doctrine because I know you give them sound doctrine. There's another pastor that knows we're, we're fighting an uphill battle. Pastors are trying to become more like the world. Let's not, let's not find the acceptance in the world. Let's find our acceptance in Christ. And watch but how attractive that becomes to the world that leaves people empty and wanting. You be fulfilled in Christ and watch, but people will not want and be attracted to who you are in Christ because you have something worth holding on to. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And I, I, I pray, Lord, that I've done this passage justice for you. I pray, God, that I haven't muddied waters. I I pray that I haven't stepped on toes that I shouldn't have stepped on. I pray that, that your word has gone out in such a way that was clear and concise and that the essence of it all is that we just want to serve you and we want to please you. And so, God, I pray that if there's anyone in here that is uh, kind of found themselves here in this, you know, just saying, you know what, I... I I haven't really dwelt on it all that much, but today I just saw in what was being said that, man, a lot of my life sure is being lived to, to please people and to try to live up to what other people think my life needs to be and to do things and to mark myself or to become a part of a lifestyle or to 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 accept certain rebelliousness that is clearly taught in scripture uh, to accept it in my life and accept it in my family's life or accept it in my friends' lives and and just say hey you know what it's not a big deal because everybody's doing it and and yet lord there's I haven't really thought about it but lord that's that is rebellion against you and so lord I don't know, you brought me kind of face to face with some of the things in my own life today and, and because of that, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask that, God, you show me those areas and you help me to change them because, Lord, I do really want to live for you. I, I want to please you. I, at the end of the day, I want you to be pleased with the decisions that I've made. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be some stuffy, unfriendly Christian, because Lord, when I look at your word, I see that the world, like moths to a a bright light, they just, they flew to you everywhere you went. You were surrounded by mobs, not because you were stuffy, not because you were ultra religious, it's because you were real and you were living for your father. You are living for the approval of God. Help us, Lord, to live for you in that manner. Help us to be lights in this dark world. Help us to to truly uh, take heart to your words there in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, where you say, you are the light of the world. So let your light so shine among men that they would see the things that you're doing those good works in your life and then turn around and glorify your Father which is in heaven not glorify you Jesus didn't give it the approval to have people glorify ourselves to, to glorify self he gave us the approval to live our lives in such a way that we would bring glory to the Father and Lord you are not stuffy People were around you all the time. They clamored to be around you. And you didn't become them. You didn't change to, to, to be cool. You lived amongst the people and you loved them. And you showed them the way. You showed us the way. We followed. Now, Lord, help us not to drop the ball. Help us to follow you in that way and help us to be attractive spiritually to the world around us. May they find you, Jesus, in us. May they find the Father and the glory of the Father as we live our lives. May they see you high and lifted up as we live our lives, not for the approval of the world, but for the approval of you, Lord. Help us find our role. Help us to find our call and help us to live according to that role, that that call so that at the end of our life, Lord, we can honestly say, Lord, here it is, wrapped up in a package to you, Lord. I live my life for you. Not always perfect, and I blew it at times, but Lord, you set me back on the path right so many times. I'm sorry for all the times that I failed, but Lord, thank you for, for messages like this that got me centered again and got me back on the right path where I'm walking with you. And my intent is to follow you and to serve you all the rest of my days. Lord, I lift these precious saints in this room or those who are listening to you. And I pray, God, that we can live the remaining days of our life, not clamoring at the world after the world, but clamoring after you, Lord, that we may be lights in this dark world, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would do this in our life. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the weekend. We've got some goodies over here. And uh, we'll see you next week. God bless you guys. Hey, Bert and Nancy had to leave her with mom And there's no Bible study tonight at No Bible study at Bert and Nancy's house tonight, but let's pray for Thelma right now. Um, Lord, right now we lift up Thelma. Lord, uh, we lift up Thelma to you right now, Lord. I guess she's fallen and, and hurt herself, and I pray, God, that you would be with her. pray that you would be with, with Nancy and, and, and Bert and, and the family, and, God, you'd give Thelma the right care, and that she would make it out with no problems, Lord. We just lift her up to you, and we pray, God, for a quick healing. And, uh, Lord, that this is, this is nothing big. Um, But no matter what, Lord, we pray that you just wrap them in your arms right now and you give them a comfort that can only come from you. In Jesus' name, amen.